Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome to the Investor Coaching Show. Paul Winkler here talking about the money world. Yeah. And uh, educating while we're at it. Why not? I used to have this mentor. He'd go, he would tell financial advisors they were talking about getting different degrees. And the advisors would be like, it's going to take me four or five years. You know, to get that degree. I, I can't do that. And be like, well, in four to five years, you're just going to be four to five years older anyway. You might as well learn something along the way. I thought it was good advice. That was uh, so. Then I got my chartered financial consultant degree, chartered life underwriter, life underwriter training council fellow, accredited asset management specialist, uh, chartered advisor for senior living, registered financial consultant. Now, you know, and uh, well, you know, wealth management certified professional. I just thought, you know, why not collect degrees? I need that I'm not even at the end of it yet, but, uh, but anyway, you get the point. I love education, and uh, you know, so that's kind of what we do around here: educate, help you understand a little bit more about the investing world. My son and I got in a conversation, and uh, you know, I thought I would share that with you just because you know he was trying to understand. He's you know, going through economics classes and just trying to understand a little bit about investing, watching a movie. That I always kind of surprised he was watching the. the the, the big short, I guess it's, well, I remember it was so long ago that I had actually seen that. It's been been a while. But it was about these guys that, that had shorted uh, mortgage, mortgage-backed securities. And, and, you know, the whole thing, the premise of the movie is they got really rich predicting, sort of predicting, yeah, predicting, uh, the 2008-2009 stock market debacle. And, uh, you know, of course, what happened was that we had this big downturn in the market. And with the downturn in the market, they made a lot of money. You go, well, how do you make money when the market goes down? Well, short. You can short. And, you know, he wanted to understand a little bit about how that worked. So let me just explain this to you just in the way that I did with him and, and help you understand a little bit about mortgage-backed securities and these types of things. When we're investing, one of the things that we look for in our portfolio are areas of growth, potential growth. You know, we look at stocks and and we look at you know bonds and these different types of things. Now, sometimes people try to get into other commodities, uh, and a commodity would be gold, silver, you know, even even currencies. You know, and they try to get in currencies or you know like cryptocurrencies and things like that, and. And I often go, eh, you know what? It's not an investment because there is nobody paying to use your money. Now, when I have gold, you know, it just goes up and down in value based on supply and demand for gold. If somebody wants to pay more for it than you paid for it, for whatever reason, then you can make money. You know, but it's you've got to hope that somebody wants to pay more for it. You're not getting anything else. You're not getting dividends. You're not getting any kind of interest payments. You're not getting any rental payments or anything like that. Matter of fact, you have to pay to store it, a lot of these things. And you know, and here's the thing is that when when I buy a stock, what I'm buying is the right to receive the earnings on that company from here into the future. 
Now, so you think about it. Let's say if, if I told you I was going to pay you a dollar, but I wasn't going to pay you the dollar for a year from now, and there's a high likelihood that I was going to pay you the dollar, but it might be 90 cents. It might be 80 cents. It might be a dollar ten. It might be, you know, you're uncertain as to what you're going to get. You're going to go, uh, you know what, I'll pay you today for the right to receive that money in the future, but I really have to think about how much I'm willing to pay you. You know, so if I'm going to receive a dollar, but there's some uncertainty as to whether I'm going to really receive a dollar or whether I'll receive 90 cents or whether I'll receive 80 cents or I might receive more than that, a buck 10, then I would drop, because of the uncertainty, I would drop what I'm willing to pay for that dollar today. And I might say to you, I need a, about a 10% return you know, just to take this risk because you may or may not come through in a year from now. And I might pay you 91 cents today to receive a dollar in the future. Now, if you take 10% of 91 cents, it's about nine cents, right? Just a little over. So if I take 91 plus nine, that gets me to a dollar. So when you, if you do come through with that dollar a year from now, then I will be happy and go, hey, look, I made a 10% return. Now, if you come through and you actually pay me a dollar ten, you go, well, why would I pay you more? Well, you know, that's where the <laughs> making this simple breaks down a little bit. But when you own a company, you're owning the rights to the profits, whatever they are. Now, if the profits come in higher than what you expected, then you're going to get a higher rate of return. I'm going to get more than a dollar back a year from now. Because remember, I'm using profits as my payment in the future. Now, how much more uncertain is it that when we're looking at earnings, not just a year from now, but two years from now, what earnings will be three years from now or four years from now, and then, then it starts to get really cloudy. We look through the glass dimly, and we don't really know what that money is going to be walking through the door. So what we do is we discount what we're willing to pay for something because of that level of uncertainty. I will pay a lower amount, 91 cents in my example, for the right to receive a dollar, hopefully, in a year from now. Now, if I only receive 80 cents, I lost money, right? You know, so there's the risk factor in all of this. Now, with a company, what happens is if, let's say, the earnings come in lower than what was expected, you as the person that was giving the 91 cents to receive the dollar are going to be a little bit mad. And you're going to go, you know what, I'm not so happy about these uh, circumstances. And you, the CEO, who was responsible for the business plan, you're the coach, you know, like the coach for the football team calling the plays. You know, you're the one that is going to go now. Bye-bye. You're out of here. I want somebody running this company that is more likely to come in with the earnings and come in with the dollar a year from now. So what'll happen is, you know, you're, you're, you as a CEO or the, whoever the CEO is, is going to be really, really conscious of making sure that they come through as best they can. And if they can't, then of course you hear people about, you know, laying off people and, and, and lowering or reducing the workforce and, you know, reducing expenses so that those earnings can walk through the door. Okay. So that is what happens with the stock market. You know, when we look at buying stocks, we're buying the rights to those earnings into the future. When we buy, let's say, mortgages, and that's what my son and I were talking about. We were talking about mortgages. 
I'm, I'm buying the right to receive the payments on the mortgage in the future. Of course, payments with interest, right? It's going to be a stream of payments. So if I buy a 30-year mortgage off of a bank, I'll have 30 years of payments. And of course, the interest, you know, as many people know, are a greater percentage of the total payments. You know, you might have a $300,000 uh, mortgage and, you know, maybe you have $800,000 of payments that come in and, you know, three of it was the repayment of the loan and the other 500000 was the interest on it. And just making up numbers, <laughs> just, just so you get the idea behind it. So I'm buying the rights to receive those payments, right? Well, have you ever had a mortgage? I was explaining this to him. I said, have you ever had, you know, he hasn't had a mortgage, but I'm just, I'm saying to you, the audience, have you ever had a mortgage where that mortgage payment uh, or the mortgage payment was redirected someplace else. Let's say that the bank sold the mortgage. And a lot of you probably, within the sound of my voice, have had that happen before, where they come in and say, hey, you know, this is this so-and-so is servicing your mortgage. Well, banks will often sell those mortgages, you know, because they made money setting up the mortgage, the closing costs and all the expenses on the front end setting up the mortgage. Then they sell the rights to receive the payment back on that mortgage to somebody else. So another entity would pay a large sum of money to receive all those payments. Now, how do they figure out what they're willing to pay to receive those payments? They have to look at the future value, future payment stream. And I'm just using that one example of a dollar. I'm going to get a dollar a year from now. And they may come in and say, well, you know, there's one mortgage payment left and it's one dollar and it's going to come in a year from now. I'll pay 90 cents for it. Just use, 91 cents for it. So just use the same analogy. So what happens, they come up with this idea of how much to pay for it. And then what they'll do is they'll set up a mutual fund, maybe. You know, you know, you might have a mutual fund or an ETF that takes mortgages from all these different banks all over the country and they put them and securitize them. They turn them into a security that people will buy because what's a mutual fund? We take all our money, we drop it in a bucket, we you know, stick it all in a bucket, and then what we do is we spread it out instead of maybe I can afford to invest and buy one person's mortgage. But if I collectively do that with a lot of different people, I might have hundreds and hundreds of mortgages or thousands of mortgages that we're investing in. And then what happens is people make their mortgage payments, and when those mortgage payments come in, then I, as the owner of that mutual fund, have a proportionate share of the value of that payment that comes in. That's it's mine. Now, so you think about that. If I own one, one millionth of the mutual fund, let's say, then one one millionth of those payments that come in is mine. You know, so it's it's you know it's kind of it's not too hard to to gather and understand. Well, what was going on in two thousand eight? You know, early two thousand and nine was this whole thing that you know people are looking at their homes and they're going, man, the homes dropping in value, and the mortgage is staying the same. And you know, I might have a three hundred thousand dollar mortgage on something on a piece of property that's only worth two hundred, and people just go, "Well, I can't pay. I, you know, lost my job. Times are tough. Whatever. I can't make a payment." And then what they do is they default on it, and the bank's sitting there going, "What do we do with this piece of property? We had collateralized loan, and you know, we lent the money on this thing, but if we sell the property, we're going to get back less than we lent out for the person that bought the home, right?" 
Now, when you're shorting, this is the kind of situation you're hoping for. You're hoping that these people can't make their mortgage payments and that that basket of mortgage mortgages is worth less. You know, so if it's worth less, then what happens is, you know, you let's say that it were was was worth um I use the example with him. I said, you know, let's say that the mortgages were worth five dollars. You know, let's say that that's what they were worth. And when they were bought, somebody buys them for five bucks, you know, the bank securitizes them and then they're worth five bucks. What we're hoping for is maybe that they'll go down to three, that they're only worth three dollars. And because people are making payments on their mortgages, they're defaulting on it. The properties that are backing them are worth less and, and they're only worth three. And you're going, well, I just lost $2. Well, if you're the person shorting, what you did is you bought them or you borrowed them, excuse me, when they were worth $5. You borrowed them and then you sold them. You're, you know, you had a, a security and it's kind of like that. You know, when you think about when I have a, a stock certificate, maybe I own a share of Home Depot and, you know, I, I own one one millionth of the company, let's say, and, and you know, I own one share of the, of the company, let's say, just to use a, a simple, easy to understand example. That little piece of paper, well, there's another 999,999 of those someplace else because there are a million of them, a million shares. The company is broken up into a million parts. And what I would, I'm owning, what I'm hanging on to is one of those shares. And I don't care if somebody gives me a different share, it's one, still one one millionth. So I'm indifferent. That piece of paper is just a piece of paper. If I can sell that piece of paper for whatever the market will give me right now for that piece of paper, and if I can wait it out and hopefully over the next few months, that piece of paper, it can be repurchased at a lower price. So in my mortgage example, it's $5 and it goes down in value to three, I can go and buy it, take the $5 that I got when I sold the shares at five bucks, and I can rebuy it at three. Then what I can do is I can make a couple, I can say, hey, here's your piece of paper back, you know, from whoever I borrowed it from. And then what they'll do is go, oh, thank you for my piece of paper. And, you know, they'll, they'll go, well, okay, ooh, man, look at this. I made... I made a couple bucks. I sold it for five. I rebought it for three. I gave him back his piece of paper, you know, because I, I just paid $3 for that same piece of paper. And he didn't know any different between one piece of paper and another, the person I borrowed it from. And then now I have made a couple of bucks. And that is shorting anything. You know, that's the idea behind it. Now, what happens is you have to have a, a period of time that elapses and that period of time is limited. So sometimes you'll hear people covering their shorts. So let's news and use a different example and say that that $5 is what I sold those mortgage-backed securities for. And then what happened is they went up to $7 and I had to cover the short. I'm like going, oh, crud. I sold it for five. I've got $5. Now I got to pay seven to replace the piece of paper. Now I've got a problem. I have lost money. It cost me $2 to do this little deal. That is really why that whole thing made such a good movie. Because literally, they had 
they they had a very short period of time or they would have been out of business bankrupt they they would have been in an absolute financial mess if those mortgage backed securities did not drop in value so this is highly risky and you think about it you have to be really certain something is going to go down in value but here's the thing about the stock market all the time you know, you hear people making predictions about the stock market. What's going to do? Where's it going to go this year? What's going to happen? You know, the S&P going to continue to go up or the Magnificent Seven going to continue to go up, whatever. What you have to do is make a bet against typically markets going up, which is about three quarters of the time. So you have to be literally in that, you know, you have to have a situation where it goes down in value and it goes down precipitously enough where you can cover the cost of doing this little deal. But most of the time stock markets go up. So it's very, very risky to short things. This is why, you know, if you look at my investment, my personal investment portfolio, I don't do any shorting, nothing. Zero, I, it's all held long is what we call it. So sometimes you'll hear owning securities long. And that means that I, I actually own them. Now, I benefit if they go up in value. Now, if they go down in value, I just wait it out, you know, because historically it always comes back. But that is the idea behind shorting. Now, mortgages, when you look at that and say, should I even own something like that in my investment portfolio? Number one, I'm not getting this money back in some cases for many years, many decades even. And the idea behind fixed income investments, bonds, and anything that pays interest like a mortgage would or a bond would or any, you know, anything like that, the idea is safety. And now when I push that period of time that far out before I might likely get my money back, when I push it out that far, now I am taking significant risk because if interest rates go up, they can drop down in value. And that's exactly what you saw happen in banks this year. You know, a lot of banks got into some really bad hot water because they actually owned a lot of securities where it was many years before they were actually going to mature. And before, and, and since it was going to be a long time before they mature, they dropped down in value when interest rates went back up. So, and, you know, and, you know, with interest rates, you know, having come down toward the end of the year, that has been helpful for some of those banks. But, you know, you, when people panic and they want their money back, you know, they, they're, not, they're not trying to go, hey, maybe I'll just wait this out. People put their money in banks because they want safety. And then when all of a sudden safety is the last thing that they actually saw, you know, when those mortgages and, and you know, those, those, uh, those bonds, excuse me, that the banks held, when those bonds went down in value, you know, then they panicked and all of a sudden that put the banks in some really, really precarious position. And that's where you had all of those problems. So anyway, I hope you understand a little bit more about that, how that works. But, you know, just understanding the stock market, if you think about it in that term, you know, and you start to understand that the value for the stocks or the value for anything that you buy like that, that has a cost of capital where they're either paying you interest or dividends, which is part of earnings or, you know, or rental payments in the in the form of housing or something like that, your value being the present value of that stream that's going to come in the future, that gives you an idea why I say that commodities like gold and silver and cryptocurrencies and those types of things, they're not investments because you don't have that stream of income that you're buying that's going to be walking in the door. Your only hope is that somebody will pay more for something than you paid for it. Very, very rocky ground to stand on 
that is why you'll often hear me talk against it as an investment. I'm not telling you it can't go up in value. They can. They can go up and down in all, all sorts of ways. But it is not, you're not getting the rights to some kind of payments in the future. And remember, the payments can be lower or they can be higher if a company's profits are higher in the future than what was projected. Hey guys, if you want specific advice for your unique situation, schedule a free 15-minute phone chat with one of our trusted advisors by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. We don't sell any products and our advisors don't make any commissions, so this isn't a sales call. We have a coaching process that helps you understand investing and relax about money. Don't put blind trust in anyone with your financial assets. We want to partner with you in the process so you know what you're doing and why. We manage assets on a fee-only basis, which means that when you do well, we do well, which aligns our interests with yours from the start. We also bring you into the financial planning process that gives you a clear plan so you can find the freedom to pursue your purpose. All our advisors are degreed planners too, with years of experience. So schedule a free 15-minute phone call with an advisor by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. So uh, Michael handed me something. The question that somebody had, Alan, thanks for the question. PaulWinkler.com forward slash question is one of the ways to ask things that you want me to cover here on the show that might be just curiosity questions, maybe something you just always wanted to understand. PaulWinkler.com forward slash question. The other way to go is just to the website. You can go to the website, PaulWinkler.com, and you can submit questions there. It's somewhere on there. It's not that hard to find. <laughs> Just, but uh, but I don't have it in front of me. But anyway, Alan's asking. Says, uh, let's see, Paul. Here, your I hear this investment advisor talk about Bank of America going digital soon, and that President Biden would would direct us onto the path maybe as soon as the end of January of 2024. Basically, states. Be aware of losing money during this switch. Why would folks lose money transferring from paper to in coins to digital funds? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I hear people say stuff and I go, wow, where did they get that one? <laughs> That's really creative. Uh, you know, especially seeing as a lot of our currency is already digital. Uh, you know, when you go back in time, we used to have physical currency that we always dealt with. You know, if you went and bought or sold something, uh, you had a, a physical currency you, and it was always convenience, you know? So what happened, you would take an amount of gold, let's say, and it would be held. And then instead of walking around with gold, certificates were issued that you could use that were as good as the gold, so to speak, so to speak. And when you wanted to turn your certificates your pieces of paper in for the gold you could do that you could say here's my paper you know give me the gold that's the equivalent of this certificate now of course we went away from the gold standard and there's that's a whole different conversation i've talked about uh many times before as to why we've done that there there are some really good reasons to do it but in essence that is what currency is it's just a convenient way to buy and sell things and it represents something now if we look at this going digital currency, we have gone digital digitally uh, in that you have this concept of velocity of money where there are dollars are replicated through this process. And it's, it's too complex. I probably shouldn't even get into it right here. So I, I'm going to hesitate to jump into that. But if you look at some countries around the world, there are some countries around the world that are on an old system that they're still physical money is the main way they buy and sell things. 
And, you know, in those countries, they're, they're pretty backward as far as economically. You know, it doesn't work terribly well. And that's why more advanced economies don't do that. More of the money is in digital form. You know, like when you go and you buy something, use your credit card, and, you, and money is flowing between different bank accounts. You ever done that where you, where you just move money from one bank account to another? You're not physically walking over there and grabbing a bunch of dollars and carrying it from bank A to bank, bank B. It's just a digital, you know, it's a representation. And it's, it's kind of funny because this is something else I was talking to about my, to my son. And I says, you know, it's kind of cool you think about it. People underestimate and they don't give enough credit to the rule of law and how important it is that we have military and we have police and we have people that protect our rights to own property. But it's what makes the whole system work and what makes everybody better off is this property ownership. And part of it is a digital system. You think, wow, that's kind of... A little bit precarious in a way, but our whole system, financial system, is based on it. And the, the reality of it is somebody protecting your right to own your home even. Because your home is just a deed, right? So, well, I've got my home. I own my home. Well, you know, the, the reason that you can keep your stuff is because you can call police and go, hey, can you guys come on over here? Somebody has broken in my home or somebody's, you know, he's parked out and living in my living room, you know, and you think there's so it's kind of cool. I mean, it's we don't even think about how cool it is that we have people that will protect our right to own property. So back to this whole Bank of America thing or, you know, what he's talking about here going digital soon. There are a lot of banks that are doing it. Uh, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan. Uh, there are a lot of banks, and what they're trying to do is set up a digital wallet, kind of like Apple Pay, is is really what it is. So you know, the ability to buy and sell. A lot of these banks are working on digital wallet, and it links the debit and credit cards, and it's it's a way to compete with Apple Pay and PayPal and those types of things that have been around for quite a while. You know, because what happens is banking systems make money on providing services but if you have more convenient ways of doing things making it simpler for you to buy and sell and move money around and you know you have um you know the wall street journal talk you know talks about this as well but digital wallet uh, there was an article in cnbc and i'm just going to grab that real quick because it just it has a couple things in here i think would be helpful for you so according to wall street journal the uh, digital wallet could be operated by early warning services a joint venture with several banks that also run zelle because a lot of you have used zelle you know in digital way to move money that way uh, major banks involved include wells fargo jp morgan chase bank of america and um and, and these different entities are just looking at ways to provide services that otherwise aren't out there for consumers. Now, what you'll find that happens, though, is people will run with this information to try to scare people into doing things that are in their best interest. Like maybe, you know, the, I don't know who the financial person is or what they are or anything like that, but a lot of people will use fear to try to get people to buy or to use their services or buy the gold from them or buy you know some other type of investment that is supposedly going to protect them from whatever calamity. And we know that fear actually motivates behavior far better than the hope for gain does. You know, so what I'm seeing a lot of is this whole idea behind digital going to that. There is the the talk about the Fed. I've talked about this several times before in different Federal Reserves around the world. There are a lot of digital currencies being worked on all around the world. You know, China had their own. 
But the problem that you run into is privacy issues. And this is really the big holdup. Why it's just, it's really in talk, being talked about stage, but how do you protect people's rights to privacy is really the big hang up regarding all of that. But the idea of having a digital way of moving money around is old. It's It's been around for quite a while. And, you know, it makes our, our systems a lot more efficient. Now, another thing that holds it up as well, and part of the reason the banks are getting involved in some of this stuff, in, in my humble opinion, is they're seeing the writing on the wall that if we go digital in many different ways, you could bypass the banking system. They want to still remain relevant, involved in the payment process. You know, so therefore what happens is you'll have a big lobby called the banking system fighting against any kind of move that actually makes them irrelevant. You know, so where will it go? You know, why would you lose money? I mean, think about it that way. You know, let me go back to that question. Like, you know, in, in, in essence, talk a little bit about that. Because anytime that you change a currency, and currencies have been changed in different countries around the world. Uh, you know, and you, you see a country that goes from one currency to another. What they do is they give a certain period of time. Is typically the way I've seen it. They give a period of time that you can turn in your currency that you have, the old currency, for the new thing. So if I have ten dollars, and let's say that we go to ten Ameridollars is going to be the equivalent currency. I have a certain period of time to turn in my $10 because I won't be able to buy things with dollars anymore, let's say. Let's say that, that that's what happens. I'm just making this up. <laughs> this isn't happening, okay? Uh, but if I do that, I have so much time in which to turn in my $10 to get my Ameridollars because the Ameridollars are going to be more efficient. Now, in this particular case, it's probably going to be a whole lot easier if they ever go to a digital because they'll just say, hey, you know, those, those physical dollars are the only thing you have to turn in. Your bank account that has $100,000 in it is going to be automatically converted to the new currency that we're just calling Ameridollars or whatever. I'm just, like I said, making up, making up names. Don't, don't panic. But if you have a bunch of cash sitting in your, in your safe, and this is one of the things that people are like, oh my goodness, oh, and then they're going to know how much cash I've got sitting in my safe. <laughs> and I've had this happen before. Man, I've been in this business so long, I've seen everything. <laughs> I remember having this one person had well over $100,000 in like in mattresses and all of this stuff. And like, how do I turn this stuff in? I was like, oh, where'd you get that money? <laughs> uh, it was money I earned that I didn't pay taxes on. <laughs> and, and, you know, so it was, you know, you go and walk into a bank and go, I got $100,000 in bills and they're going to wonder where on earth you got it, right? Uh, so, you know, it can create a problem when you go underground in the system and you avoid the tax and taxation system. But the reality of it is most of us, if we have any cash sitting in our safes or anything like that, it's it's a relatively small amount. And you just hand that in and then you get credit in the bank account for whatever that is. So if I if I have a thousand dollars in twenties, let's say I walk in and go, here, this thousand dollar in twenties, uh, give me that a credit amount in my account in digital dollars. And when I made that comment jokingly and kind of going, yeah, how are you going to lose money? Um, I, I find that people just make up stuff and, and I, I don't, there's no basis in truth or, or, or basis in any kind of uh, objective, you know, this is what's going to happen and this is what they're talking about doing. It's just they make up stuff and it scares people and then people start asking questions about it. So, you know, 
I don't know. It, you know, th- those types of things, I hear those types of stories out there and it just frustrates me more than anything. Just going, oh gosh, here we go, trying to scare people again. And I've heard it, you know, I've been doing this for well over 30 years and I've heard so many of them that haven't happened. It's kind of like, you know, the climate scares, <laughs> same, same, same type of stuff, uh, you know, where people go, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, you know, and I've heard, heard that for well over 50 years. And whatever prediction, dire prediction that they come up with doesn't happen, and then all of a sudden they're off predicting something else. Because they've made their money scaring people with the first prediction, now all they have to do is keep you know, coming up with something else new for you to worry about. Well, that's why our big thing is just relax about money. <laughs> hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.